The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution. Book 6, The Marseillaise. Chapter 6, The Steeples at Midnight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 6, Chapter 6, The Steeples at Midnight. For in truth, the insurrection is just about ripe. Thursday is the ninth of the month August. If forfeiture be not pronounced by the legislature that day, we must pronounce it ourselves. Legislature? A poor waterlogged legislature can pronounce nothing. On Wednesday the eighth, after endless oratory once again, they cannot even pronounce accusation against Lafayette, but absolve him here at patriotism by a majority of two to one. Patriotism hears it. Patriotism, hounded on by Prussian terror, by preternatural suspicion, roars tumultuous round the Salle de Manege all day, insults many leading deputies of the absolvent right side, nay, chases them, collars them with loud menace. Deputy Vaublanc and others of the like are glad to take refuge in guardhouses and escape by the back window. And so, next day, there is infinite complaint, letter after letter from insulted deputy, mere complaint, debate, and self-cancelling jargon. The sun of Thursday sets like the others, and no forfeiture pronounced. Wherefore, in fine, to your tents, O Israel. The mother society ceases speaking, groups cease haranguing. Patriots with closed lips now take one another's arm walk off in rows two and two at a brisk business pace and vanish afar in the obscure places of the east. Santerre is ready, or we will make him ready. Forty-seven of the forty-eight sections are ready. Nay, fear St. Thomas itself burns up the Jacobin side of it, turns down the Foyant side of it, and is ready too. Let the unlimited patriot look to his weapon, be it pike, be it firelock, and the breast brethren, above all the black-browed Marseillaise, prepare themselves for the extreme hour. Syndic Roderer knows, and laments or not, as the issue may turn, that five thousand ball cartridges within these two days have been distributed to Federas at the Hotel de Ville. And ye likewise, gallant gentlemen, defenders of royalty, crowd ye on your side to the Tuileries. Not to a levee, no, to a coucher where much will be put to bed. Your tickets of entry are needful. Needful are your blunderbusses. They come and crowd like gallant men who also know how to die. Oh, my aid, the camp marshal has come, his eyes gleaming once again, though dimmed by the room of almost fourscore years. Courage, brothers, we have a thousand red Swiss, men stanch of heart, steadfast as the granite of their Alps. National grenadiers are at least friends of order. Commandant Mandat breathes loyal ardour, will answer for it on his head. Mandat will and his staff, for the staff, though there stands a doom and decree to that effect, is happily never yet dissolved. Commandant Mandat has corresponded with Mayor Pétion, carries a written order from him these three days to repel force by force. A squadron on the Pont Neuf with cannon shall turn back these Marseillaise coming across the river. A squadron at the town hall shall cut Saint-Antoine in two as it issues from the Arcade Saint-Jean, drive one half back to the obscure east, drive the other half forward through the wickets of the Louvre. 
squadrons not a few, and mounted squadrons, squadrons in the Palais Royal, in the Place Vendôme. All these shall charge at the right moment, sweep this street, and then sweep that. Some new 20th of June we shall have, only still more ineffectual? Or probably the insurrection will not dare to rise at all? Mandat's squadrons, horse gendarmerie and blue guards, march, clattering, tramping, Mandat's cannoneers rumble under cloud of night, to the sound of his general, which begins drumming when men should go to bed. It is the ninth night of August, 1792. On the other hand, the 48 sections correspond by swift messengers, are choosing each their three delegates with full powers. Syndic Roderer, Mayor Petion are sent for to the Tuileries. Courageous legislators, when the drum beats danger, should repair to their salle. Demoiselle Terogne has on her grenadier bonnet, short-skirted riding habit, two pistols garnish her small waist, and sabre hangs in baldric by her side. Such a game is playing in this Paris pandemonium, or city of all the devils. And yet the night, as Mere Petion walks here in the Tuileries' garden, is beautiful and calm. Orion and the Pleiades glitter down quite serene. Pétion has come forth. The heat inside was so oppressive. Indeed, His Majesty's reception of him was of the roughest, as it well might be. And now there is no outgate. Mandat's blue squadrons turn you back at every grate. Nay, the fierce St. Thomas grenadiers give themselves liberties of tongue. How a virtuous mayor shall pay for it if there be mischief, and the like, though others again are full of civility. Surely if any man in France is in straits this night, it is mere Pétion, bound under pain of death, one may say, to smile dexterously with the one side of his face and weep with the other, death if he do it not dexterously enough. Not till four in the morning does a national assembly, hearing of his plight, summon him over to give account of Paris, of which he knows nothing. Whereby, however, he shall get home to bed, and only his gilt coach be left. Scarcely less delicate is Syndic Roderer's task, who must wait whether he will lament or not till he see the issue. Janus Biffron, or Mr. Facing Both Ways, as vernacular Bunyan has it. They walk there in the meanwhile, these two Januses, with others of the like double conformation, and talk of indifferent matters. Roderer from time to time steps in to listen, to speak, to send for the department directory itself, he the procureur syndic not seeing how to act. The apartments are all crowded, some seven hundred gentlemen in black, elbowing, bustling, red Swiss standing like rocks, ghost or partial ghost of a ministry with roderer and advisers hovering round their majesties, old Marshal Maillet kneeling at the king's feet to say, he and these gallant gentlemen are come to die for him. List through the placid midnight, clang of the distant storm-bell. So in very sooth, steeple after steeple takes up the wondrous tale. Black courtiers listen at the windows, opened for air, discriminate the steeple-bells. This is the tocsin of Saint-Roche, that again, is it not Saint-Jacques, named de la Boucherie? Yes, monsieur, or even saint germain lauxerrois hear ye it not? 
the same metal that rang storm 220 years ago, but by a majesty's order then on St. Bartholomew's Eve. So go the steeple bells, which courtiers can discriminate. Nay, meseems, there is the town hall itself, we know it by its sound. Yes, friend, that is the town hall, discoursing so to the night. Miraculously, by miraculous metal tongue and man's arm, Marat himself, if you knew it, is pulling at the rope there. Marat is pulling, Robespierre lies deep, invisible for the next forty hours. And some men have heart, and some have as good as none, and not even frenzy will give them any. What struggling confusion, as the issue slowly draws on, and the doubtful hour, with pain and blind struggle, brings forth its certainty never to be abolished. The full-power delegates, three from each section, a hundred and forty-four in all, got gathered at the town hall about midnight. And that squadron stationed there did not hinder their entering. Are they not the central committee of the sections who sit here usually, though in greater number tonight? They are there, presided by confusion, irresolution, and the clack of tongues. Swift scouts fly, rumour buzzes of black courtiers, red Swiss, of Mandat and his squadrons that shall charge. Better put off the insurrection? Yes, put it off. Ha! Hark! Saint Antoine booming out eloquent toxin of its own accord. Friends, no! Ye cannot put off the insurrection, but must put it on and live with it or die with it. Swift now, therefore, let these actual old municipals, on sight of the full powers and mandate of the sovereign elective people, lay down their functions, and this new hundred and forty-four take them up. Will ye nill ye, worthy old municipals, go ye must. Nay, is it not a happiness for many a municipal that he can wash his hands of such a business and sit there paralysed, unaccountable, till the hour do bring forth or even go home to his night's rest? Two only of the old, or at most three, we retain. Mere Petion for the present, walking in the Tuileries. Procureur Manuel, Procureur Substitute Danton. Invisible Atlas of the whole. And so, with our hundred and forty-four, among whom are a Toxin Huginen, a Billot, a Chaumette, and Editor Talien, and Fabre d'Eglantine, Sergeants, Panises, and in brief, either emergent or else emerged and full-blown, the entire flower of unlimited patriotism. Have we not, as by magic, made a new municipality, ready to act in the unlimited manner, and declare itself roundly, in a state of insurrection? First of all, then, be Commandant Mandat sent for with that mayor's order of his. Also let the new municipals visit those squadrons that were to charge, and let the storm-bell ring its loudest, and on the whole, forward, ye hundred and forty-four, retreat is now none for you. Reader, fancy not, in thy languid way, that insurrection is easy. Insurrection is difficult, each individual uncertain even of his next neighbour, totally uncertain of his distant neighbours, what strength is with him, what strength is against him, certain only that, in case of failure, his individual portion is the gallows. Eight hundred thousand heads, and in each of them a separate estimate of these uncertainties, a separate theorem of action conformable to that. Out of so many uncertainties does the certainty and inevitable net result never to be abolished go on at all moments, bodying itself forth, 
leading thee also towards civic crowns or an ignominious noose. Could the reader take an Asmodeus's flight and, waving open all roofs and privacies, look down from the Tower of Notre Dame? What a Paris were it! Of treble voice whimperings or vehemence, of bass voice growlings, dubitations, courage screwing itself to desperate defiance, cowardice trembling silent within barred doors, and all round dullness calmly snoring, for much dullness flung on its mattresses always sleeps. Oh, between the clangour of these high-storming toxins and that snore of dullness, what a gamut of trepidation, excitation, desperation, and above it mere doubt, danger, atropos, and knocks. Fighters of this section draw out, hear that the next section does not, and thereupon draw in. Saint-Antoine on this side of the river is uncertain of Saint-Marceau on that. Steady only is the snore of dullness, are the six hundred Marseillais that know how to die. Mandat, twice summoned to the town hall, has not come. Scouts fly incessant in distracted haste, and the many whispering voices of rumour. Terogne and unofficial Paris flit, dim visible, exploratory, far and wide, like night-birds on the wing. Of nationals, some three thousand have followed Mandat and his general. The rest follow each his own theorem of the uncertainties. Theorem that one should march rather with Saint-Antoine. Innumerable theorems that in such a case the wholesomest was sleep. And so the drums beat in made fits and the storm-bells peal. Saint-Antoine itself does but draw out and draw in. Commandant Santerre over there cannot believe that the Marseillaise and Saint-Marceau will march. Thou laggard, sonorous beer-vat with the loud voice and timber-head, is it time now to polter? Alsatian Vesterman clutches him by the throat with drawn sabre, whereupon the timber-headed believes. In this manner wanes the slow night amid fret uncertainty and toxin, all men's humour rising to the hysterical pitch and nothing done. However, Mandat on the third summons does come, come unguarded, astonished to find the municipality new. They question him straightly on that mayor's order to resist force by force, on that strategic scheme of cutting Saint-Antoine in two halves. He answers what he can. They think it were right to send this strategic national commandant to the Abbey prison and let a court of law decide on him. Alas, a court of law, not book law, but primeval club law, crowds and jostles out of doors, all fretted to the hysterical pitch, cruel as fear, blind as the night, such court of law and no other clutches poor Mandat from his constables, beats him down, massacres him on the steps of the town hall. Look to it, ye new municipals, ye people in a state of insurrection. Blood is shed, blood must be answered for. Alas, in such hysterical humour more blood will flow, for it is as with the tiger in that he has only to begin. Seventeen individuals have been seized in the Champs-Élysées by exploratory patriotism, they flitting dim-visible, by it flitting dim-visible. Ye have pistols, rapiers, ye seventeen, one of those accursed false patrols that go marauding with anti-national intent, seeking what they can spy, what they can spill. 
The seventeen are carried to the nearest guardhouse. Eleven of them escape by back passages. How is this? Demoiselle Tarogna appears at the front entrance with sabre, pistols and a train, denounces treasonous connivance, demands, seizes the remaining six, that the justice of the people be not trifled with, of which six two more escape in the whirl and debate of the club law court. The last unhappy four are massacred as Mandat was. Two ex-bodyguards, one dissipated abbe, one royalist pamphleteer, Sulot, known to us by name, able editor, and wit of all work. Poor Sulot, his Acts of the Apostles and brisk placard journals, for he was an able man, come to finis in this manner, and questionable jesting issues suddenly in horrid earnest. Such doings usher in the dawn of the 10th of August, 1792. Or think what a night the poor National Assembly has had, sitting there in great paucity, attempting to debate, quivering and shivering, pointing towards all the thirty-two azimuths at once, as the magnet needle does when thunderstorm is in the air. If the insurrection come, if it come and fail... Alas, in that case, may not black courtiers with blunderbusses, red Swiss with bayonets, rush over, flushed with victory, and ask us, thou undefinable, waterlogged, self-destructive, self-destructive legislative, what dost thou here unsunk? Or figure the poor National Guards bivouacking in temporary tents there, or standing ranked, shifting from leg to leg all through the weary night, New trickle of municipals ordering one thing, old mandat captains ordering another. Procureur Manuel has ordered the cannons to be withdrawn from the Pont Neuf. None ventured to disobey him. It seemed certain then the old staff, so long doomed, has finally been dissolved in these hours, and mandat is not our commander now, but Santerre? Yes, friends, Santerre henceforth, surely mandat no more. The squadrons that were to charge see nothing certain except that they are cold, hungry, worn down with watching, that it was sad to slay French brothers, sadder to be slain by them. Without the Tuileries circuit and within it, sour, uncertain humour sways these men. Only the Red Swiss stand steadfast. Them their officers refresh now with a slight wetting of brandy, wherein the nationals, too far gone for brandy, refuse to participate. King Louis, meanwhile, has laid him down for a little sleep. His wig, when he reappeared, had lost the powder on one side. Old Marshal Maillet and the gentleman in black rise, always in spirits, as the insurrection does not rise. There goes a witty saying now, Le toxin ne rend pas. The toxin, like a dry milk cow, does not yield. For the rest, could one not proclaim martial law? Not easily. For now, it seems, Merpetion is gone. On the other hand, our interim commandant, poor Mandat, being off to the Hotel de Ville, complains that so many courtiers in black encumber the service, are an eye-sorrow to the National Guard, to which Her Majesty answers with emphasis that they will obey all, will suffer all, that they are sure men, these. And so the yellow lamplight dies out in the grey of morning, in the King's Palace, over such a scene scene of jostling, elbowing, of confusion, and indeed conclusion, for the thing is about to end. Rurderer and spectral ministers jostle in the press, consult inside cabinets with one or with both majesties. 
Sister Elizabeth takes the Queen to the window. Sister, see what a beautiful sunrise right over the Jacobins' church in that quarter. How happy if the toxin did not yield. But Mandat returns not. Petion is gone. Much hangs wavering in the invisible balance. About five o'clock there rises from the garden a kind of sound, as of a shout to which had become a howl, and instead of vive le roi, were ending in vive la nation. Mon Dieu, ejaculates a spectral minister, what is he doing down there? For it is his majesty gone down with old Marshal Maillet to review the troops and the nearest companies of the so. Her majesty bursts into a stream of tears, yet on stepping from the cabinet her eyes are dry and calm, her look is even cheerful. The Austrian lip and the aquiline nose, fuller than usual, gave to her countenance, says Peltier, something of majesty, which they that did not see her in these moments cannot well have an idea of. Oh, thou Teresa's daughter! King Louis enters, much blown with the fatigue, but for the rest with his old air of indifference. Of all hopes, now surely the joyfulest were that the toxin did not yield. End of Book 6, Chapter 6